Welcome to the Raj Kitesh Show, number one podcast in Dubai. And in this episode, man, easily one of my favorites because I'm talking to somebody who I just have so much love and admiration for, John Howell, CEO and founder of AviaDev. Now, AviaDev stands for Aviation Development. This guy literally works on conferences that connect airlines and airports across Africa and Europe. So it's very, very niche. And he started a podcast a few years ago. I gave him some advice and we talk about that and how it helped him almost wear a life jacket through COVID where the events industry and the airline industry had been completely drilled into the ground. This is a very, very frank, honest conversation. John is one of the most resourceful and resilient people that I know. And if you are in the content space, and especially if you're in B2B, you're gonna learn so much from it. And if you're not in B2B and you make content, you might be surprised how versatile content is when it's deployed strategically. Joining me is my co-host Vic, and you'll also hear from our producer for the first time. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Raj Kotecha Show, number one podcast in Dubai. Today, we are all in for a treat, including myself, because I get to spend time with one of my favorite people, John Howell. How are you doing, John? I'm good, thanks, Raj. Good to see you, man. Good to yeah. be back in Dubai. Always a pleasure to see you, my bro. And uh, Vic's in the house. How are we doing? You right? good? Yeah, yeah I just hey, finished your message. Just smashing out a little bit of admin last minute. Um, guys, you're really in for a treat today, and I'm going to do a little bit of a setup here, but I think he's going to do a great job of explaining it himself because he's got 200-odd podcasts almost under his belt. John and I, um, actually, I always prefer it when the person on the show tells the story of how we met, mm. but John and I have worked together in the past. Um, I've been part of his content journey, and now... You're not based in Dubai. What brings you to Dubai? And tell us a little bit about your your role for the last few years. Yeah, so I'm in Dubai for the air show, mm -hmm. uh, which is going on right now. And um, yeah, it's a great opportunity. Obviously, I'm here to meet all of my customers, uh, at, which are the aircraft manufacturers, mm -hmm. the airlines, and um, yeah, that kind of community. Um, and yeah, I mean, we met, what, how many years ago? You five, tell me. Five odd Probably, years. Probably, no, it'd be six, you know. Six, six and yeah. a half years ago. And tell the people what you do right now. What's, what's your job title and who are the people you serve? So I'm the founder and CEO of Aviadev Africa and mm. Aviadev Europe as well. So Aviadev as a, as a sort of overall um, brand. What does Aviadev stand for? And Aviadev is two words amalgamated, aviation development. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do is we want to um, increase air connectivity. So we want more flights within the particular region especially africa is my focus and we do that by bringing the players together and getting them to meet together and have those conversations that ultimately will lead to new routes mm. and why do i do it i don't really care i see the plane as like a glass box it's about what it does for the people either end it's the economic empowerment that it provides the jobs that it provides the development that it provides and africa's been starved of that for too long so mm. africa is the last place that we haven't seen that proliferation of air routes um so yeah it's just that's what's really exciting especially with everything that's going on at the moment about sort of the disparities that exist in the world and it's a way of leveling up a little bit and and trying to help the african continent get there so the, the before and after scenario or the problem that you kind of seek to solve is that typically we know for, for many of us who've, who've spent time in africa that if you want to fly from one african country to another african country within the content of africa you can sometimes find yourself coming up to the Middle East, changing planes, only to fly back onto the continent to another country. And so what you're trying to achieve is getting more intra-Africa travel mm. between countries. And that requires airport owners, airlines, and a whole bunch of other folks to make friends, negotiate, and create air routes. Is that a similar, way, simple way of 
Yes, that, 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 that's really good. I mean, there's a lot of competition traditionally, and we're trying to create a spirit of cooperation where that's needed. There's nothing wrong with competition, but there's nothing wrong with cooperation, and there's not been a, a, a great deal. To your point, it's only about three years ago that Addis Ababa overtook Dubai as the main connecting hub for Africa. So wow. most connecting flights in Africa between countries were actually going out of the continent. Can you imagine taking a flight from London to Paris and having to connect in Marrakesh? Hmm. Or, you know, it's crazy. It just doesn't, it is absolutely crazy. And they still do that. Hmm. Um, you know, there's flights that have to go up to Paris, even for neighboring countries. Hmm. And that's what we want to fix. Um, and it's very much, we're looking at that Africa-centric connectivity because the international connectivity is provided by Emirates, Etihad, hmm. Qatar. I don't think that's the place that the African airlines should be going hunting. I think they should be working with their neighbors and connecting the regions. That's where the trade happens. You and I know that, you know, the people who travel for travel on planes in Africa, they're not tourists, they're traders. Mm. And uh, they want to, you know, they want to be able to trade. Why do they have to go to Dubai or Guangzhou to get their goods? They should be able to go to Lagos or Accra and, and, and it's a shorter distance and the airlines can provide that connectivity. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening right now, you might be thinking, listen, I know Raj is a content guy and <laughs> DJ and a few other bits and pieces. What is he doing talking about airlines in Africa? Well, our journey started when? Maybe we can go back to around 2014. Yeah. Is that around the time that we started hanging out, 2015? We met in I got, which yeah, city? It London, was, right? It was four weeks after I got married, so it was, yeah, July 2015. Wow. Yeah. And we met in London. We met in London, and you came in to tell us all about this concept, which is everywhere now, which is you need to create a community, and you need to think about yourself as a year-round engagement platform, and you need to go to where the eyeballs are, and you need to double down on a, on a niche, and uh, between you, you and the other guy that I look to is Daniel Priestley for My this guy. stuff, who's yeah, your yeah. guy as well. I love him. Uh, Key Person of Influence is just the best book I've ever read. And, you know, it, I followed that and, and he has his P's in there and you've got your own P's. Mm. Um, but it was that whole concept way before it's time. Build a community, serve the community and it will come back and build that thing. I remember you using this term ethical debt. It was amazing. It was mm. like give somebody something first you'll build something in them that when you one day sort of say, can you help me with this? They're more than willing to do it. And you're not doing it for that reason, but you're building that equity. You're building that bank. Mm. And I just think not enough people do that. They want the short term hit. Mm. What are you, I get so many people write to me, can you do this for me? And I'm a bit like, well, what are you gonna do for me kind mm. of thing? And, and I much rather do it the other way because you can't create a community by taking, you have mm. to give. Mm. I like this concept and you know, Coincidentally, the concept of ethical debt, I learned in Africa, because when I went there and I saw how much Chinese foreign direct investment was happening and how that debt was structured through their own banks and through their own construction, that I was like, hang on a second, Africa has basically been forced into debt. And then when people want their money back, knowing that these countries cannot pay for it, that's when they start stripping the country of minerals and things of that nature. So well, quite often it's tied to that. It's like, we'll give you debt, but we want your mine. Or, you know, like, you, you, don't give us money back, we'll just have the rights to dig up that mountain and ship it back to wherever we need to ship it back to. So, yeah, the, you, you're spot on. Yeah, and, and the, th the thing about ethical debt is you give without the expectation that you're gonna ask for it in return. Mm. And the thing about ethical debt, for those of that are listening that are into content strategy, is that if you put out content and you put out content at scale, yeah, there might be times where you want to take individual people within your community 
and ask to do business with them or do or collaborate with them but you don't require everybody who's listened to your podcast to pay you back something mm. you know what i mean you build a community you serve the community at scale but you ask focused wise mm. i guess is the way to say it. you're like you're not if you if you if you give benefit using your content to a thousand people that doesn't mean that all thousand people owe you something but if you do want to direct message one of those thousand who've expressed an interest in you and are grateful for the things you've given them you then have that permission yeah i think the other thing that um you know for people listening is we have strictly b2b there's no there's no b2c element of this at all so it's quite easy to target the people you want to target right so how many people make aircraft airbus boeing atr embraer and de havilland right there's mm. five companies and there's a chinese company and whatever but really there's five companies in that space so i need to know the right people so mm. if i go to them and say hey, I want an hour with you on the phone, they're going to say no, okay. But if I say, hey, I want to do a podcast with you and learn all about your products and give you all that distribution and it won't cost you a penny, they're going to say, okay, that sounds like fun. And mm. then you build the relationship in the preamble, in the rapport building. And what that means is long-term, you put the podcast out, you give them the results, then you turn around and say, hey, I'm doing something. Would you, like, would you be interested as a company in getting involved in some way? And suddenly there's that opportunity. You've still got to deliver. You've still got to do it, but it's a foot in the door. Mm. And that's, that's how I've used, used content. I mean, I do it very much without just because it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the industry that I serve. But there is a strategic purpose. I think that's the point. Don't build ethical debt with people who there's no strategic benefit. You know, mm. you've got to look at this as a commercial opportunity or not necessarily commercial, but something that's going to raise your profile. And I do think like you ring the CEO of a company and say, can I have an hour on the phone because I want to pick your brains? They're like, no. You ring them up and say, can we do a podcast? They're going to say, more likely to say yes. I'm not saying they're going to say yes. I'm not advising everybody to do it. But honestly, try it because I've had some amazing encounters by doing that that I would never have had otherwise. Yeah, and what's incredible is, you know, by far and away, from a, there's a couple of things that make you one of my most successful collaborators or somebody who I've worked with in a, in a consulting or coaching environment, which is that, I mean, there's probably three things, let's be honest. Firstly, you're super niche. You work in B2B, which already becomes, you know, quite, it's quite an exclusive field to play in. But then you're working in aviation, even more narrow, and then Africa, even more narrow, and a non-established market, even more narrow. So you're one of the people that I've got the utmost confidence in when it comes to saying, to the listener and saying to Vic as well, because I, he'll be able to understand it in full. When we talk about the four P's of content, plan, produce, publish, and promote, can you explain what you planned, what you produced, what you published, what you promoted, and then just talk to us a little bit about some of the direct results that you got and some of the indirect results. And also, also what makes you super, a super mutant, in my opinion, is whilst all this happened, you had a kid, yeah. You moved home yeah. and you were still able to earn in the events industry, which was knocked down to zero during a pandemic using live events. So hopefully I've put enough inspiration on your plate. There's things to talk about. But but let's start with the four P's. You, you, you looked at content as an opportunity. You and I had many conversations mm -hmm. five, six years mm -hmm. ago. I was super impressed by your ability to pick up on things. What action did you take from a plan, produce, publish, promote perspective? Well, I think the first thing when you look at planning is you've got to survey the landscape. Right. So I went, I need, I'm going to do this in Africa, in African aviation. I need to learn everything I can. And I'm not going to go to uni and do a degree in aviation. I'm going to go and Google whatever I can find. 
All I could find is literature written by non-Africans, be that journalism, be that academia, and it was their opinion on Africa. And I said, right, there's two options here. That is to, to sort of um, support that, or it's how about we try and create an opportunity, create a channel to give the voices. I never wanted to be the voice of African aviation, but I want to be seen as the conduit that brings that to the, to the table. The platform. The platform, yeah. So I'm the middleman who asked the questions to, to those people who've never had that platform. Because that story's been told by people from another continent who maybe have never even been, right? They sit in a, in a, in a university lecture theater somewhere and they come up with their own ideas based on whatever they've read and whatever they've researched. That's not to do that down, but it's not really their place. You can't imagine that happening in another continent, but it's happened in Africa. So I was like, there's no content. There is no content that is written and there is no content being produced that's half decent in quality. That was the niche, that was the opportunity. And then it was planning what's the platform to do it. And I began with blogging, because you know we hadn't talked about podcasts, but I did over a hundred blogs on LinkedIn. If I look back on them now, they're all terrible. Mm -hmm. And they were hard work because I had to create and source. It was like writing articles. That was your piloting phase. That was piloting. No pun intended. Yeah, 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 you know, very <laughs> good. And, and you know, the other thing was that LinkedIn as a platform, I used that a lot to build the business. Um, that was really good back then. Pulse was, was a real big yeah, thing. Yeah. And it just started to die. Like people didn't want to consume it and LinkedIn were trying to monetize it. So they were shrinking the visibility. And I was like, this is hard work. There mm. must be a better way. Pulse, so, Pulse was, for those listening who've not participated in social media in that, in that era, five, six years ago, Pulse was a dedicated blogging platform. Yeah, which, which, you can still do it now. Right. If you go onto LinkedIn and open it up and go, I want to write an article, you can click that and it will allow you to embed links and all that sort of stuff. So it's there kind of, you know, it, it's quite, it's cool, but it doesn't get the, the traction that it used to do. And then I had a call with you. I was actually at my event in 2018 in Cape Town and uh, you said, oh, how's it going? Or I sent you some pictures on WhatsApp or whatever. And we had a call for about 10 minutes and you literally just said, how about podcast? And I was like, right, I'm going to start tomorrow. What do I need? And you're like, right, you need this mic. Uh, this is the editing software. This is the hosting software. And in 10 minutes, I wrote it down, did my first one the next day, never looked back. So, and it's been amazing because we now have, when I introduce myself to people and they say, what do you do? So I'm the host of the only podcast dedicated to African aviation in the world. And we have 186 episodes as of today. You lead no with, one's going to catch with that. Yeah. You, lead you lead with, with the with podcasting that. bit. Yeah. To clients now, That's because amazing. it's unique. It's really unique. I don't want to go, hey, I'm an event. So what? There's loads of events. Who, who's your audience? Who's the audience? So the audience, again, it's, it's super B2B. Okay, so um, when I look at the um, downloads and the proliferation, it's unbelievable. 175 countries, 50-odd thousand listeners, and we've never spent a penny on promoting the podcast. Wow. Um, that's organic from people sharing. So at the end of the podcast, I always say, if you enjoyed this, if there's benefit, um, share it with somebody in your network you think would benefit, et cetera. Um, because it was always just, it was, a, it was a way in with either mm. a client that was gonna pay me money or with a client that I wanted to come to my conference, which was always the, that was the place where the money was. The podcast was never that. It was an asset that we built to support that so that, you know, not to go into it too far right now, because I'm sure we'll come to it, but I think that events have evolved from being, hey, come to my two-day conference, I'll see you on Friday, I'll never see you again for another year on yeah. Tuesday, yeah. to what clients want, and going forward post-COVID, 
they want 365 engagement. Mm -hmm. And that means I have to double down on one industry. I can't go, oh, I'll do Africa for two months, then I'll do Asia for two months, and I'll do Europe for two months. Because they, that you'll follow, you can't be everything to everyone, right? If you do that, you just end up being one of those restaurants that says, hey, we do great omelets, and we do great chop suey, and we do great teriyaki. No, no, you don't go there mm. because it's not specialized. Yeah. So that's the trade-off. The trade-off is I can't be the main guy in America and the main guy in Africa. Yeah. You've got to be known for one thing. So yeah. I doubled down on that market. It's not a great market. It's not a really affluent market, but it's, I love it. And that's the thing. I think it comes from that passion of seeing the results and seeing new routes being made and, and people being empowered and jobs being created and lives being changed. Not by me, but by something we play a tiny part in that, of, in that process when a new route is, is launched and, 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 and all of those businesses are you know, supplied by those tourists, those business people, whatever it may be. So when, when, you, when you choose to record a podcast, what are you trying to get out of it? Are you just trying to get informa information out there? Are you trying to talk about new routes that have been established or you know what, what's the kind of there's quite a very quite a variation mm. in terms of what we talk about it's what's topical yeah. um so like for example i did an interview on saturday with an, an airline from angola that's just signed uh, just ordered some new airplanes and i went to the press conference and we did the interview with the ceo and the guy who'd done the deal there and then mm -hmm. and we we put it out alongside the press release so they can both use it as an asset and that isn't that that's just me being nice. at the being at the cutting edge, being at the cold face and getting that message out. Um, I think the other thing to say for the listeners as well is the format of the podcast. Mm. I'm not expecting people to necessarily go and listen to it. Okay. As I always say, it's niche and it's if you're interested in aviation in Africa, you know, then you've probably got something wrong with yeah. you. You know, you're not <laughs> thinking on a Saturday night, should I watch Netflix or listen to John's podcast? I understand that, yeah. right? Um, but there is that there is that 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 absolute opportunity to just drill into something and the format of the of the actual podcast itself is I'm asking the questions. Mm, mm. What that means from a content producer perspective is genuinely that the preparation is limited, right? You have to do an intro, an outro, and you have to think of five questions, right? right? You're not providing the, you, the guy at the other end or the lady at the other end, they're providing the content and mm. that's who the listener wants to listen to. Sure. So, so that the work in, that it's involved versus, do you know what, every week we're going to have a half an hour conversation on this i i wouldn't go down that road i haven't got the time and the energy to put that in and i don't think people want to listen to what i've got to say like that i think they want to um they want to talk they want to talk they want to hear from the guys that are doing the thing that that, that, that you're, you're sort of discussing that week I, I wanted to ask say something i also wanted to say it so that we can listen back to it on the podcast and i can remind myself to do to add it to the work that we're doing but is it you know vic and i have always been very smart even in the days when it came to interviewing celebrities where we understand that certain celebrities, including some of our heroes, are not gonna be accessible. It was much easier in 06, 07, but in some cases they were not accessible. And one of the biggest unlocks or tactics to get somebody is to get them when, when they're in cycle, or what we call in promo cycle. Listening to what you said there about doing content with people and grabbing them when they're in promo cycle, mm -hmm. i.e. when a movie actor is specifically trying to promote their movie, a singer is specifically trying to promote their album, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But what you're talking about, which is fascinating, is not only did you manage to get content with them when they're in cycle, when they're in promo cycle, i.e. they're putting out press releases, but you were actually able to package your content with their press release and you were able to slipstream with their outbound comms that you're not paying for, that their existing PR 
company is paying for. So a good version mm. of this yeah. is you get them when they're in cycle, which, mm. which takes you from not having access to them to having access to them. The great version is doing the interview, getting them the content. I'm, I'm assuming quite quickly, John. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I edit it myself and I publish it myself. You know, I taught myself and, and I've seen that as a bit of a downfall for some of the creators that mm. it takes too long. Yeah. And if you're doing something that's topical, then it needs to be out there and then, you know, so I did this interview on Saturday. It was live Sunday morning. And the upside of that speed is that the PR company sees that mm. and then pushes it out. And, we've and just you work with the PR company so we can pre-record under embargo and then we, we release it. it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's the key. That's the sweet spot. And actually, some of the companies don't do that with us. But the other thing about a podcast, which is really important, is when I do a podcast with Airbus, Boeing, Rolls-Royce, they have huge, complicated comms policies. But if you give them the peace of mind that we'll pre-record it and we will send you the edited version and you can listen to this and approve it, right? Mm. So they have control of the process. And if you give them that... That, that, that sort of comfort, you're not going to spring some terrible question on them and it's on live TV, they, they will work with you. And if you do a good job, they'll work with you again because they'll see it's the only route to market in that media form. There's nobody else producing it in that media form. Just to pick up on your point about in cycle, there's a really good anecdote and a really good story about that. So obviously pre-COVID, it was much easier for me because I'd go to events and I could just say, hey, can we meet at breakfast? Let's do a podcast. COVID, it's hard. It's like, no, let's do a Zoom call and, and we'll have to use, you know, can you click on this link and they're sat in their living room and I'm in my living room. And you don't get that serendipity. You don't get that energy in the same way, but that was the best we had, right? So a great example is um, Ethiopian Airlines, the biggest airline in, in Africa, launched Manchester in 2018 and they invited me to be on the first flight. Gurma. Um, well, Gurma is the, the previous CEO is the patron of our event, but Tawalde is the new, is the CEO for the last 10 years or so. Yeah. And basically the, the great story about this is it wasn't a flight from Manchester to Ethiopia. It was from Manchester out around the North Sea for any British listeners huh. and back to Manchester. So my boarding pass said from Manchester to Manchester, well, which was crazy. Amazing. amazing. So I've still got the boarding pass. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Cause it's hilarious. So we're on the thing. He's sat in business class. We take off. Um, we're in economy class behind all the journalists are invited together. And um, because I have a relationship with the uh, station manager, the guy who manages the, the stuff down in, in Manchester, because I know him, um, when it came to, right, seatbelts can be unfastened, uh, right, we're ready for interviews. I got, I got first dibs above BBC, we're on that plane. Yeah, and they came to me first. I got, the f I got the first interview with him. Sat in business class, side by side, just put my little Zoom H1 there, mm -hmm. and we recorded. And um, it was an amazing, because we had all the photos to go with it, just the atmosphere of it, and it cemented a relationship with him, which is hugely important for me, because he's, he's the biggest airline in my, he's the biggest business in my sector. I can't do this business without their support. So like, these are the things. And if I just took on on that plane and just looked out the window as a regular punter, he wouldn't know who I was to this day and we'd never have any sort of rapport or relationship. So it's content is the key to unlock the relationship. That's the way I would kind of look at it. What, what I love about what you just said, is just a comment and observation, is that you, you said invited all the press. So you yourself, founder and CEO, events, podcaster but now you're talking about yourself as the press yeah we're media. as the media yeah. and i think that's the interesting leap from 
when you first started and blogging to, to the first podcast to now. But it's a leap in mentality and exactly. it's very, very, exactly. very obvious. Exactly. If you don't, if you don't want to see yourself as that, you're, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. It's as simple as that. And some people, yeah, are good at doing this and some people are not. If I, I would never want to listen back to my first 20 podcast. <laughs> And now it's very natural and it's helped me now. I do loads of moderation and loads of speaking at events for governments and tourist boards and all sorts. Um, and I'm very confident to do that now. Whereas, you know, you mean you were the one, Raj, that put me, you were like, come on, let's just do a piece to camera and you just shove this camera in my face. I was like, I've never had this experience before. But it was like being thrown in the deep end of the pool with no no armbands. It's like, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, I remember that first time. Yeah. I remember you getting to do a in solo Ethiopia. to camera. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what was that about again? We were at the hotel conference in Ethiopia. And, in uh, Addis? Yeah, and we talked about some crazy airline that Iron Maiden, the, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, <laughs> was involved in. You know in what a, he's talking uh, about? No. Air Djibouti, if anybody knows. Oh, Air Djibouti. Tell him, so here's the thing. Bruce tell, Dickinson. Tell but, him the but hold on, story, the, because that's, that's, now, that's like now mythical in, in our business. I want, I want you to uh, tell I the story hear to this. Vic, but... But in, in short, is this the Air Djibouti? Air Djibouti. Okay, right. The one, cool. that, okay. the one that I've been talking about for a long time. So, in the four Ps, we teach the four Ps right now, uh, in person, and we talk about the ROI of content uh, from the perspective of direct results and indirect results. And when it comes to direct results, of course, there's a lot of quantitative data, which is explicit comments, likes, things of that nature, plays that say, okay, your content's been successful. But then there's indirect results. So let me tell you for the first time the story that I tell in the four piece of content. Great. We did Ethiopia and I remember you telling me there's an interesting chap and we should shoot him. Well, we should record a podcast with him and he's with Air Djibouti. He's the CEO of Air Djibouti. And then we went to record him and that was in Addis. The following year when we went to Rwanda, you remember? Yep. It was the second incarnation yep. of Aviadev and Aviadev in the first year in Ethiopia was incubated inside a much larger it was African just a hotel. Session. Yeah. Right. It was incubated inside a larger African hotel investment conference. So at that time I was producing all the content myself. If the camera needed charging, if the tape needed changing in those days, if the memory cards needed changing, the cabling, all of that. So you remember that when me and you would go overseas, whether it be Madrid or Africa or wherever we find ourselves, I would do all that capture myself, which is physically quite draining and mentally quite draining. So I remember that there's a point where you obviously need to replenish, you need to get some food. So I sat with my cameras, I was like, I wanna get some food. I go up to the buffet counter. Now, anybody who knows me out there listening and everybody around this table for sure, knows that I can't spend more than 6.25 seconds without talking to someone. <laughs> I need to talk to people. I'm a shopkeeper's son, I get my energy from that. So I go to the buffet and I'm stood next to this guy and I say to him, Hey man, how's it going? He goes, yeah, good. I said, you know, are you enjoying yourself? Like good conference for you? You know, general chit chat shit. I don't wanna get to know industry stuff. And um, he goes, yeah. I said, what, what, what brought you here? He goes, Aviadev. I said, cool. Now that obviously piqued my interest because I'm rooting for the underdog now, right? And obviously you're my man. So I'm like, I'm trying to find out whatever I can. So I said, yeah, cool, amazing. I said, who'd you work for? He goes, Ed Djibouti. I said, hold on a second. The Djibouti thing triggered me again. I was like, okay. Uh, that's cool, like, what'd you do for them? And this guy did whatever he did. CCO, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he goes, he did whatever he did. I said, that's, that's cool. I said, listen, man, last year, your CEO was here. He goes, yeah. I said, 
we recorded a podcast with him. He's the guy that owns an airline with a rock star, right? From Where Kiss, right? No, no, no. Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. So I said, okay, he owns a he owns an airline with the guy from Iron Maiden, right? He goes, yeah. I said, and remember, the podcast had probably done less than 100 plays at this point. I said, dude, there's no chance you heard that podcast, is there? I said, he said, did I hear it? He said, that's the reason why I joined the company. Now that... We could end the story there, and that's a perfect Disney movie ending, right? And that was like episode one. So, <laughs> so, wow, I didn't know that. So check this out. So I said, wow, as in like you heard the interview. I'm going down the cliche path, right? You heard the interview. You found out about the company. You joined them, and everything worked out beautiful, right? He goes, no. I actually had already been interviewed by the CEO. I had turned down the job. Then I came across the interview, and then I heard the person who interviewed me speaking freely and openly. And then I called him back and said, I'd like to join. What are the benefits? One, the airline managed to acquire a talent that otherwise wouldn't have joined. You, as the event organizer, managed to make a sale from a person that otherwise wouldn't be there. From our perspective, I'm sure that the CEO of the airline looked at you in a positive manner as a result of that. So you made a sale, the CEO got a job, and it was good for building the brand. All of these things wouldn't have happened unless I was hungry and went to the buffet and started talking to this guy. It had nothing to do with likes, nothing to do with comments, nothing to do with views. And that's the example we give when we talk about indirect results in our mm. course. Mm. So that's one of the most incredible stories. There's a lot of serendipity out there. You just have to do enough, and then it starts to connect a lot of stuff doesn't but a lot of stuff just fuses together it's in a small industry that happens all the time like just me being here walking around the Bayer show i haven't organized meetings but i'll be walking towards somebody somehow they recognize me underneath a mask you know and uh, it must be my massive bald head you know and they're <laughs> like hey john and you're like whoa oh my goodness what are you doing here you know yeah, and, yeah. and it's just mad and and then you have this fantastic conversation um that's really spontaneous and full of energy that you could never replicate on a email, Zoom call, WhatsApp. Everybody uses that stuff. The way I use that stuff is to tee up the live stuff, right. to tee up the interaction where you can have a shared experience. And that's been the thing that's, that, that's, that's been missing. But yeah, from a content perspective, it's a great, yeah, it's a great story. I think it? also, sorry, just on, on that as well. The, the podcast that you do is also an opportunity to connect with people if you believe that something you've recorded in the past would be of value to them so it may not just be about getting time with a ceo which you wouldn't do otherwise it's like oh i've just met raj you know we're in the same industry da, 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 and he said oh he's interested in this and you'd be like oh well look i just met this guy i've interviewed him you might like it boom and flick him over an episode and that kind of thing also builds relationships so it's not just about directly getting that person onto your show or onto your podcast but it's like well who else would find value in it and doing that one-to-one -one kind of distribution so, so that's that's a great point so today i had a meeting with boeing right mm. and uh, the guy who's heading up africa is new he's only been there six weeks he's a lawyer by profession and um uh, i managed to get a meeting with him through a bit of guerrilla marketing which maybe we can talk about but that was great and i sat down and he and i told him about the podcast and i um i've i've, I've done the thing where it's there's an app on i on itunes mm. that you can get on the app store um so i down put it onto his phone i said look you want he, he was like i need to learn about this industry i don't know how and so he was like what you've got 180 episodes for me to explore Amazing. and to listen back to and i'm sure he won't listen to all of them but he needs to get up to speed pretty quick 
and straight away you're offering him value yeah. and nothing in return other than, hey, I say hi. And um, you build that rapport, you build that relationship very quick. So yeah, it's, you know, all of this is don't do it for what it has to do, do it for what it can do, right? These things might never happen, but if you'd ever did it, they're never gonna happen, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. just, it's just like you've gotta get something going to make anything happen. When you say it's a slow and steady process and there's serendipity involved, Talk to me about March 2020 and the world goes into lockdown. The airlines stop flying. The events industry of which you are a, yep. an, an alpha player in that space when it comes to your niche, everything stops. Everything stops. The planes are no longer in the sky. The events, are no, the, the ven events venues are closed. Talk to me about the compound effect of having a media property and a podcast heading into that time when all revenue stopped, but you found yourself able to still generate some value and some revenue. How did you do that? It's a great question. So just for context, so we'd done our last live event in June 2019 in Cape Town. And um, we, off the back of that, I was approached by the government of Madagascar and Paris airports. Can we do it in, in Madagascar next year? There's never been an aviation conference in Madagascar. Um, and they are building a brand new airport and they've got um, brand new hotels, five-star Novotel hotels that would look, wouldn't look out of place in Dubai. And basically, that was the situation. We were all set for May 2020. I'd been there in February to do the press conference with the Minister of Tourism mm. in the new airport. They're going to open the new airport at Aviadev. I mean, this is huge. Like, a brand new airport terminal is going to be opened at our conference with all of the pomp and circumstance. We have a couple of questions in the press conference in February. This coronavirus, uh, it's not in Africa, whatever, you know. Oh, I'm, yeah, not, I'm, yeah, not an, I'm not an epidemiologist. It's not in Africa, whatever, right? So we all got caught blindsided by yes. this because we've seen it before. And we've all got a story on that. So suddenly, within three weeks, I'm in my bedroom with the door locked, being, you know, being afraid to leave, you know, being told I'm not allowed to leave the house. So that was lost. All of the sponsorship money obviously you can't deliver them what they've paid for. So it's not ethical to keep that money if you can't deliver on what it is that it says. You can't give them a stand at an event and mm. this, that, and the other. Um, so that was the first thing was like, wow, the event's canceled, but we've already done four or five months of marketing. I've spent money going on, going to events, promoting it. We've sold tickets. Can't draw any of that money down. It's got to sit there. And my only task now is to hold on to it so that one day, maybe in three months, we can say, hey, we'll do the event in September. And then we just draw the money down. And we know now in hindsight, September was just a crazy idea. So straight away, we're in you know, April, March, April, and it's like, right, I'm housebound and we have no revenue for the year because all the revenue is due to drop in May. And until May, there's no revenue. But what I had was that, I had the digital footprint. I already had, by that point, nearly 100 podcasts. I had a big presence on social media. So I had access. I had everybody in my phone. I had all the address. I had, my, had the address book. I had the little black book. And um, so we started doing weekly webinars for free, bringing people in. And one of the webinars that I did was with the CEO of South Africa Tourism. And he was a guest. And we, it went really well. And at the end of it, he said, we need to do this for our industry. John, can you come and help us do it? Can you host, can you actually host it as a moderator? Can you host it as a platform? Can you put it all together for us? We need one next week with all these important people. We're trying to make sense of what this means for South Africa. So of course that was a paid gig. And then we've done all sorts of weird stuff in terms of digital stuff. Uh, I've got a new podcast coming out, which is called The Fighter Pilot and the CEO, which is uh, all about leadership. 
Um, that was a project that we started working on through lockdown. You're doing um, that with South Africa Tourism? No, that's with uh, that's with the former CEO of DHL, Brussels Airlines, South Africa, and then uh, the, one of the guys that used to be a pilot for the RAF and the they Red Arrows. A, they come in as a patron cash sponsor? Yeah, like they're funding the the, the, the podcast and I'm hosting it and I've put it all together basically. So there are loads of weird experiences of what we've been able to do. So some of it has been, yeah, I'll just have my face out there and do these. I'll take the lead for the industry. And once a week, every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, Aviadev did a webinar and it was about something else to help people make sense of what was happening. But more than that, to bring the community together. We couldn't be together in person, but we could meet at 10 o'clock every Wednesday. And I was able to start these webinars within a week of lockdown. Cause I was like, we got to pivot and we got to keep people informed. And I think people got value. It wasn't a monetary thing, but it built that, that brand. And I would arguably say 20 months after the pandemic, we're sitting here now, our brand's way more valuable than it was. Um, but the way we survived, cause you asked that question was, uh, we weren't traveling. That was a big expense, right? So no travel, mm -hmm. no offices. We all work from home. We're only a team of three for two events for Europe and Africa. There's three of us. So we're super lean, pay cuts, you know, and just hold on and just grab whatever you can and look at every opportunity. And there were some genuinely, I mean, I can't even remember all the projects, but none of it was traditional. All of it has been beneficial to treat me, to help me learn new skills. Um, but we controlled it all. We didn't outsource it because there just wasn't the money there to do it. So when I'm doing these webinars for South Africa, I'm setting them up on the admin. I'm handling the cameras as well as moderating them. Um, you know, we did everything, everything. And we did it in-house, but we just got there quickly. Now, there's no need for that because everybody knows how to use Zoom and how to use Zoom webinar, but we were quick. Mm. And there was a market. That market died quickly and you have to then pivot move to something else move to something else we did stuff with partners um where they were launching white papers so we did online events and invited our like they got they got their reach amplified by using our network and then i would host those events because i had a profile and was able to host them they paid us for that benefit and to get a bigger audience so so your co your content platform acted as a form of immunity against downward market conditions and here's what's so dope and you're getting a masterclass right now in how this works not only did you manage to attract whatever opportunities were available it doesn't matter whether the market's mm. up or it's down on a relative basis it was dry the river was dry right but on a relative basis if there's if you go to the river and there's three fish or there's ten yeah you know At you're doing we well if three. you get all of them <laughs> so whatever opportunities were available you got them yeah number two you're able to diversify and generate revenue. And number three, and this matters to me a lot as a personally as an individual, I don't know if you picked up on this, is that you also pivoted from host slash DIY producer of your own thing to external executive producer for a brand. Oh yeah, we're not proud. Funded, funded. No, but, it's, but there's no embarrassment in that. No, no, I, I, never, I, never had the I never had the embarrassment, but it wasn't like, I'm not gonna do it. It was very much like, how do we survive? And I'll do anything. You Bro, know, that, if you pay me a hundred bucks to run down the street naked, I probably would have done but, it in March, you, you, 2020. You, you were able to do that because you picked up the skill to do that. And not only that, you, people saw you as somebody that could do that for them. So if, if you hadn't done all of that ahead of the pandemic, yeah. no one would have seen you like that. And you wouldn't even thought about it probably because you wouldn't have picked up that skill and that talent to be able to do that. Yeah, it was you, like having a winter jacket as opposed to sitting there 
with no with a t-shirt on going it'll always be summer mm. you know you've got that jacket in your pocket to go do you know what you guys are going to suffer because you thought it was always going to be summer winter's coming i've got a coat and i'll live a little bit longer than you yeah and a lot of our competition you know they've got big offices they've got marketing departments we're, we're a we're a we're a small business that does it all in-house but we can do that because of that, what we talked at the beginning. It's a niche business. You don't need to be prolific in terms of content because it's a small industry. Mm. And I, I want my weekends. I want my time with my daughter. I want my you know, running and my exercise and, and my time away from work. But it did give us that opportunity. Now, if, if COVID had happened two years before, before I'd built that, we'd be dead. Simple as that. We mm. wouldn't be here. Content's content saved our lives let's do a shot do a shot for that <laughs> god damn but cheers, literally cheers, cheers. that's amazing isn't it but yeah, it's yeah. so true it's so true it's so true um it really did you know because what would we have we'd have a live events company and live events were illegal mm. so you have nothing so what i'm saying is two years before when you're building the brand yeah but let me not miss this point bro you pivoted from a from a talent and somebody who had to, by default, produce yourself to somebody who was an external producer. And yes, you're being a talent for the brand, but quite easily they could have said, hey, John, come in, give us the blueprint. You won't be the guy on the micro on the camera and you'd have still done the deal. And why I love that, he knows, is that this was my exact power move that I made in 07, 08 when the company I was working for in Los Angeles sold to The Guardian. And I basically became an executive producer for brands for retailers, for B2B, eventually end up doing that with bench events as well. And that move, to me, it's not a horizontal move, it's a graduation. When you can say, you know what I've done in, cam in front of camera, I've produced myself and now I've got the capability to take me out of the mix, put my client in, take the celebrity that Raj would normally interview out the mix, put in the prime minister of whatever, let them interview each other and you can literally see parallels in the content that I made when I was a celebrity interviewer and the content I made when I was in the corporate world, you take me out, you put my client in, you take the rapper out, you put the minister in and it's the same formula and it still mm. works. And the fact that you were able to recognize those patterns, have some pattern recognition and then amputate it and transfer it into another environment, i.e. a sponsored environment, bro, is just incredible. I'm so proud of you, man. Oh, thanks, you're man. just, you're just, you, every time I think of you and every time that we talk, it just makes me so happy because you are the definition of this shit that I've been talking about for a long time. You get referenced a lot in our conversations. That's very cool. And, but genuinely, and I'm not just saying this cause I'm on the podcast, but I look back on that. I went to, um, obviously I had the session with you when I just started at bench events. It opened my eyes to something that I, you know, to put this in context and there'll be people out there listening that are in this situation. I work for an events company, but it was a PLC events company. So the, it was, hey, I want to interview that guy. No, 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 we have an editor that does that. It was siloed, right? I was, I was handcuffed to, you're the sales guy that talked to airports. Don't talk to airlines. Don't interview anybody. Your role is narrow, right? This was in the company before. In the company you, before. Before you. And that's what it, yeah. the frustration that led to me that saying, I don't want to do this. I want something more, more wide because I think I can offer more. And that's the, that, that, was, that was just vital in terms of then developing those skills. But what I would say is when I had that session with you and you said, look, you're not an events company, you're a media company. And it's one thing saying it and it's another thing actually doing it. And the thing that the disconnect is the amount of work 
to become that is unbelievable. The amount of free stuff you have to do, the amount of content you have to produce for not because it's being paid for, but because you're serving an industry. If you see yourself as a servant to the industry, once you've built the reputation, the people will come to you to be associated and they'll say, what does it cost? Because you're valuable to our distribution. And where we fit in now is we don't say, don't have a PR team, don't go to traditional media, but we we fit in the middle. We're the B2B access point to the people that matter, that will buy your planes, your engines. How many people want to buy a Rolls-Royce plane engine? You know, only airline executives, right? How many of them are there? There's only so many. Mm. So Rolls-Royce don't need to promote themselves to Joe Bloggs on the street because he ain't ever going to buy one of their products. Mm -hmm. And you know what's real as well? Like this strategy, I don't know if you've ever spoken about the way you've navigated these waters over the last few years whilst going through a pandemic, whilst having your first kid and so on. Like, but you know, we've got that mutual homie. I don't know if you remember uh, at Rolls-Royce, one of my close, close boys, his wife, we made, I made an intro some years ago. I'll tell you off, I'll tell you off the record. Yes. yes right, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So imagine like we throw this over to, to her and that gets sent out to Rolls-Royce, which it will because that's my, that's my boy like for, for, for day one. So like, it's just so- And they're partners of ours as well. So oh, they are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're sponsors of the event and we work really closely with them. Damn, was that my plug or? Of course. No, uh, no, no. Well, yes pizza. and no, yes and no, yes and no. <laughs> Yes and no. Rolls Royce, some cool people though. Like I, the the, the people I met a bunch of people from Rolls Royce and the, on the airline side, and there's some nice people. Yeah, it's great. It's great, but I just think, you know, it's 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 about creating creating that environment, creating that opportunity of building that community. And then if you can be the person who builds the first one, you're you're, you're bulletproof. If somebody wants to set up a podcast for African aviation tomorrow, good luck. Mm. I'm 186 episodes ahead. I'll see you in four years when mm. you can get to that level. Because even if you did one a day, nobody wants to consume one a day, right? Nobody wants one a day popping up in their in their in their iTunes, you know, going, here's another podcast or another interview that, you know, you, you you need to you need to space it. You need to put the work in. And the hours that I've invested in that platform and the other platform, because I was sat trying to develop a business in Africa from the UK with no money, was LinkedIn. Talk because that, people were there, you know? It. It's amazing, Man isn't it? Manchester makes the best hustlers. <laughs> I think if we've concluded anything today, if you've got an M in your postcode, you're fucking bulletproof. Right, so congratulations. Cheers Thanks, to that. Mate. Cheers. Um, Thanks before for I let you go, because uh, I know you've got to go to uh, a, a big to business a very reception, posh, yeah, very posh Carlson, reception. Hey? They, let, they let us in the building. I don't know why they let me in. If they see my postcode, they might not let me in. <laughs> exactly. I want to. I want to open the door to. Uh, I want to open the the kind of combo to, to Vic because me and you go so far back. Yeah, yeah, throw yeah. me those. Throw me those. Um, throw me those branded socks yeah. as well. Oh yeah. Just so I can put them on camera. This is a gift that that John's given me and Vic today. Some branded Avia Dev socks. Uh, I'm going to be wearing these with super pride. Look for a post on my Instagram about that. Um, what questions have you got, Vic? And I think for the first time as well. It'd be interesting to bring in Caucasian Alex, who's basically been an intern <laughs> with us for six weeks. And, and, and actually, you know what? I think you guys at some point should, I'll definitely connect you guys on, uh, sure, yeah. on WhatsApp. This guy is 18 years old. By the time he'd turned 18, he'd spent nine months in a simulator and he, dro he flies drones FPV oh, wow. through the glasses. That, I mean, if you ask me what I was doing at 18, I was just,
like it's well, like yeah. that's too that, similar yeah, 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 but like that so but but would you, would you, would, would you think he's 3210 work what do you yeah, think yeah. what do you think he's doing with the drones yeah, exactly yeah it's a, it, it's, it's a hook right yeah, exactly so it's a, it's a lead generator but like what what are you saying Vic? because i've dominated I don't know, this we, combo no no listen i've heard a lot about you over the years you know just kind of what you've been doing the successes that you've had and you know raj is always kind of telling me so you guys have pretty much covered everything but I actually had an interesting question. A burning question. A burning question. And uh, there's only so many people in your ecosystem, as, you, as, you've, mm-hmm. as you've said. Now, you know, I'm sure there's an infinite number of podcasts that you can create around the topic and have repeat guests. But is there any particular guest that turned you down or you couldn't kind of get on the show that, that then, not just that, but that then kind of change their tune once they realize okay well this is serious there's something in it there's some value and they approached you to 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 be a guest on the podcast um yeah probably it's it's a strange one so not not necessarily in that way so Mm. sometimes it was a case of i turned them down okay because they wanted to water down the message so much they wanted it to be scripted almost and i don't want to do press release Mm -hmm. because it would affect what we do which is a conversation Mm. it's like Mm. this i want to have a conversation and say i'm here to represent the audience so i want to ask the questions i think i know what they want to know i mean we even did a series we did live during the during the covid i did um i created a series called an audience with which was a live podcast on a friday morning with an industry ceo once a month and it was one hour and i asked the audience and my community to send in the questions and then i interviewed them live we live streamed it and then we put it out as a podcast The second, the second format that we've created, which my colleague Yuri, who created the socks, we've got a thing called Sky Heroes, which is a panel show where we discuss the hot topics in African aviation or European aviation, and we bring commentators, media, you know, journalists, etc. And it's really fun. We, 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 you know, we we play hip hop music and we make them into Superman and we cartoon, you know, we we kind of animate them and stuff. Cool. Um, so we've changed, we've changed stuff like that. But in terms of this, we've turned people down because I've done the recording and just said, look, it's not worth it because there's nothing new here. It's not good. The place where we've managed to get something back is actually through the sponsors is okay. like they come to us and they say, well, we're interested in your, um, in your platform. And years ago, they just wouldn't talk to me. And actually, Air, I'm going to call them out, Boeing and Airbus never supported us, even to this day. But today I've had... Oh, come into, you know, come in, talk to us, have a coffee. Let me show you around our plane because they realize suddenly there's value. They're late adopters. And unfortunately, you know, I'm saying this on camera, but they will never get the same. They weren't there at the beginning. Hmm. And I think that's important for content creators. The people who were there, who were there at the beginning, who gave you that chance, who gave you that interview. Hmm. Don't take them for granted going forward. They're yeah. your friend. You know, they're important in there for life. And there will be people that will come to the party late who said no early on. And they were waiting for you to prove the concept. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you're, yeah, you're always going to get that. And I think you've got to figure out. Which Still one do of those, it. Which if ones they're valuable. Are, yeah. Which one of those are genuine. They're coming back to you and say, look, you know, there was some internal things and we had to kind of wait out. And, yeah, and do it. Some just don't just be too nice on, to them yeah. because they weren't, you know, they didn't want to give you time of day. You had to prove yourself first. Yeah, before they came on whereas some people are like i like this i'll give you a go and they'll always be have a special place and i think that's really important in a small community i know if i do one thing wrong if i mm. say one thing wrong i'm done because mm. i'm not african 
Yo, true. Right? What? One huh? thing wrong. What? <laughs> Wait. I'm waiting for my citizenship. <laughs> if you're watching, I'm waiting for my passport. But um, I'm not African. So, so there are some people who've told me, we won't do business with you. You're not African. Mm. I've seen mm. you guys before. You come in, you want my money, mm. you know, yeah. and then you leave and you, you know. I remember going to gala dinners where you have tables of Africans, tables of the white guys that have come from the big tech companies to sell that stuff. And they're all sat together. And I go and sit on the table with the African guys and they go, okay, you know, you can come and sit with me. And some of those guys are my absolute best friends in the industry now. And they are absolutely vital to everything that happens in Africa. And they have the most amazing stories. I have no time for the other, the people who just want to parachute in and go, we don't really want to know, but we just want to sell you this and get out. And we want to sell it to you at a premium because we're hoping you don't really know what it's all about. Yeah, and content has done that. Content's done it because this people go, yeah. people go, um, and anybody who said to me, and I had people say to me, you're only here for the money, right? Hmm. We've just been through COVID. Africa had no money in the first place in an aviation context. Yeah. It definitely doesn't yeah. now. Yeah. I'm either... What, am I, what money am I in it for, right? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, so that, yeah. that argument just doesn't hold water. And that's, again, valuable. In a way, it's cemented those relationships because these people are like, well, I, I thought you weren't here for that, but now I know you're not here for that because there isn't any money in this industry. So that's another bit of advice for the audience is don't pick an industry where there's no money. That's a terrible idea. You, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. so, so what, 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 he's, what he's done is he's created the no like, and trust factor through content, right? like really significantly because he's swimming in an industry where you, you know people knew you or didn't know you and then they got to know you so so it's even more important that you build the trust and the, the fact that you can go to uh, you know sit at those tables and be welcomed with open arms because they're like okay not now, necessarily initially i'll be honest but that's the that's exactly but you the may, point you, you know but, you, but the content has allowed you five to, minutes it's the best thing in the world i'm going what are we eating here i've never been to this country before what, mm. what is this and they're like oh it's fried caterpillars from like, oh amazing yeah they're really good you know no, whatever you miss but, me with that yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> like, hey you know like I, I mean i remember that that was all that we had for lunch in angola one day was this they brought this silver plate in and it was fried caterpillars it was delightful you know, it was great. And it's these experiences that you have. But it's funny you should say it because I know we're getting into sort of, you know, murky water in a way. But actually, it's twofold, right? So you go in as the white, as the white guy, as the foreigner. Actually, you get access because, the, oh, I'll speak to you. Mm. But there's an inherent lack of trust. Yeah. So the other way is they might not speak to you, but they'll trust you because you're the same, right? Got it. So you're going to, there's a win-lose situation. I understand that. And I think, you know, there are people who absolutely, as I've told, they've told me to my face, I'll, I won't work with you because, you know, I don't believe that you, you represent us. That's okay. That's their mm, choice. Mm, it's not mm, my choice. Mm, but that's normal though. Even as people yeah, of color, right? Like we have a super radar, which is like, if a white person shows you like genuine love, like they, they really love you, like kind of to a certain extent, a lot of the past is forgiven. Like you look at our, we, every, and we always joke about this, like every crew, like when you just talk about brown people, like Indians, every crew of Indians that moves around always has one white guy in their crew. <laughs> and for us, it was James, yeah, right? Yeah. This white cat, cool fucker, like, just like, but he, although he would say, and I'm not saying, and don't try this around me if you see me outside, but like, you know, he could say the P word and stuff like that around us because 
he's one of us. He, he was as Indian as us. Yeah, he was brown, but in a white guy's body. And that's the thing is that it takes time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, clearly by numbers alone, most people from the outside ethnicity, whatever that ethnicity might be, won't put the time in. But if you put that time in, the payoff is for life mm. with the people you put the time in with. Yes. It's not an all brown or yet. all black pass. But if you put that time in with that crew mm. or that company or that, that, country, industry, that country or that yeah. industry, it's, it's amazing because then you're welcomed with open arms and that love is real. But I get it, right? I get why that reason is, I get, I get why that, that, mm. that's there. Mm. And I can't change that. So I said to this guy who told me that to my face, I said, okay, fine, that's fine. Because mm. I can't change that. And I understand that there's a history here and there's a culture that I haven't got anything directly to do with, but I get it, you mm. know? But over time, what you think is, well, why would I spend the time trying to convince somebody? I'll go and work with the people who are going to give me the benefit of the doubt. And more and more people then, you know, join the back of that queue. Mm-hmm. And, and when I think back, I mean, I remember the first ever Aviadev that we did in Rwanda. I, I didn't sleep a wink the night before because I just thought, nobody's going to come. Why would they come for me? What's this event? Like, what is it? It's going to be awful. I, I don't know what I'm doing. What is, and I had this massive anxiety issue and it was so uncomfortable and genuinely and I said this last year to my wife I said I don't know whether I'd do it again because it was that hard to get to five years six years in which is where we are now six and a half years since we kind of came up with the concept knowing what I know now it might have had an easier life to just go (laughs) work in a work in an office but it wouldn't be nowhere near as much fun and you, you know, because you, you, you've traveled Africa, you, you get off a plane. You can smell and taste the energy. That's what it is. It's energy. Whatever the smell, whatever it is, it's mm. in the air. And that is the, 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 the energy that gives me that drive to go, these people are the most entrepreneurial people in the world, no doubt. There's no social services. Yeah. There's no fall on the state. There's no mummy and daddy. It's you, you adapt or you're not here anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, they've got that, they've got that, and they've absolutely got that in absolute abundance. Mm. And hopefully we can help them sort of get there and Africa one day will be as well connected as the rest of the world. Mm. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll all be, be happy. We're, we're East African Asians like, and it's weird because the, the two cultural reference points I have, one is, first cultural reference point I have is white people because we grew up in the UK. Mm. Second cultural reference point I have is black people because of the amount of African influence in our homes because our parents are Kenyan. And if you're not Mm. Kenyan, if you're another brown guy, your parents might be from Uganda or any of those kind of parts Mm -hmm. of town. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and it's like, I feel more of a allegiance to black people and to Africa. And I guess if you take the second thing, you multiply it by hip hop and the fact that we're both hip hop DJs country, and, relevant, and those artists have embraced me and you and have shown us like so much love. Mm. It's like, it's crazy. I was, I was in, um, I was in, where was I? Zanzibar mm. a few months ago. Mm. I felt right at home, felt more at home and less anxious than I would do if I pulled up in Mumbai or Delhi. And I love my people. and I love my country, but there was just a different warmth, right? Because it, you smell your childhood when you pull up in Africa, because I've been going to Africa since I think I was, I wasn't born there, but I was, a couple of months after you're born, your mom takes you back to your grandmother's house. My, yeah. my, first, my first country I went to in Africa, are you ready for this? Go on. Proper Africa. 
Seychelles. Oh my <laughs> God. It's not <laughs> bad, is it? Yeah. And you're like, Africa is good. Africa yeah. is good. Second one, second maybe one I should Uganda. Start do, yeah. Maybe I should yeah. start doing events here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You're like, this is you're this the wife in Africa is cool, amazing. <laughs> I, I, have one, I have one thing that I really want you to speak on selfishly. And I think you and me and you have had this conversation on some real shit before. Um, let's just do our final shot before okay. we get into it. All right, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, cheers, Alex. Because I can't speak on this without upsetting people, but I think you can. Is it finished? Oh, no. What's he, what's he made me do now? What's he made me say? As a content creator, as a forward-thinking person, as an innovator in the media space, how do you navigate uh, pushback or bureaucracy in organizations where you need buy-in, you need budget, you need support, you need to slipstream and leverage momentum of the wider organization? I think that's a great question. And there is absolutely one, for me, one really key thing. That is to find a project manager stroke gatekeeper that everything goes through. So as soon as it starts to proliferate and you're dealing with three or four people, I can't, I can't handle that. I haven't got the space. So I want one, one lady or one guy to be the person that is gonna run that project for me, they can deal with it, and then they come back to me. So I say, when we run our events, it's the same. Who's the project manager? They come to the weekly meeting. These are my issues. Come up, go away, get it sorted, come back to me with the report, and if you need to bring them to the, to the meeting, that's fine, we'll deal with that specific issue. That's a great way to deal with it, in my opinion, is to get somebody to own the project with you because I think if you don't do that, it grows arms and legs. And before you know it, you've got 10 people sending you emails about, I think you should change the copy on line four and then the next person on another trail email, right? And you're doing amends, amends, amends. Just get one person to deal with that and then you get the final thing. You make one change, you throw it out there, done, right? That's, that's, that's the way, that would be my advice. It's very simple. But in my experience of dealing with these big companies like Airbus and Rolls-Royce, et cetera, you need one person. They're also, it's easier to convince one person to be your champion as well. Hmm. And they will be, they will want to do it and they'll, then they'll get the credit for the, for the success of the project too. Hmm. Instead of sharing it around because it just literally, it grows arms and legs. And then suddenly you're thinking, this was a little thing that I said to do, but everybody wants to say something. Because if you send somebody an article or a podcast and say, have you got any amends? The answer is, you're asking me to make amends, right? It's a bit like a CEO coming into a business and saying, yeah, everything's fine. Let's just carry on. Has that mm. ever happened? Mm. Yo, did you hear what he just said? He said, if you ask somebody, for, have you got any amends? They hear, you're asking me, me to make it. amends. Yeah, 100%. But that wasn't even my question. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. My question is, could you give me the same answer, but from an internal basis? So when you have internal pushback. So one of the things that happened when you and I were working together is that of all of the people that I was coaching, like, please don't think that you were the only person that I gave this game yeah, yeah, to. Of course, of course. I gave this game to a lot of people, but it wasn't absorbed by everybody. And mm -hmm. for certain actors within that organization, I actually was giving them more work to do. Because I'm saying, okay, you've got all these responsibilities and they're very real, they're very tangible, but now I'm asking you to think about uploading to YouTube and copy and this and I need budget for that and so on and so forth. How do you create internal buy-in and how do you interpret internal resistance? Two words. Humility, to do the crap, right? To do the edit, 
to sit there with Audacity on, which I've done for 186 episodes. As a CEO of a business, I sit there on the plane, I sit there at home, I spend the time to do the edit myself, I listen back, I cut out the ums and ahs, as you taught me, right? Put the music on, because it speeds the process. And the second thing is ownership. Just own what the project is and own it from start to finish. Don't go, done my bit, pass it on. Oh, did it happen? Did it not happen? We're not big enough to have that luxury to be able to go pass it down the chain, et cetera. I mean, I did a, I did a podcast last week and the press release came out 10 days before the podcast because of bureaucracy at their end, right? I don't have that bureaucracy at my end. I can do what we want. We can post what we want. I don't need to go through an approval process for social media, et cetera, because we're trusted. It's our brand. I built the brand. Therefore, I'm empowered by our chairman to say what we want to say because he knows I'm not going to say something silly. So they're the things I would say, but it's humility about doing the admin work. You know, I enjoy it. I love sitting on a plane editing a podcast. Some people hate it, but genuinely, I enjoy it. Mm. But not everybody's wired that way. But if you're a small business, you've got to be a master of all trades. I, I'm, I'm head of marketing, head of ops, <laughs> head of sales, head of logistics. You know, I have a great team within the team, but we just don't have that luxury. And that means that we can speed up. We can absolutely accelerate. You've answered a question that's kind of plagued me for the last three years, which is that, you know, I was trying to create innovation and buy-in in the larger machine, but you, because you have a submachine and you're the CEO of that machine, you're able to make these changes. Whereas I know when I was trying to make changes, I would get pushed back and I'd be like, oh, you know what, f this. It's like, not able, we have to make the changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not able to make the changes, it's have to make the changes. If you want to do it, you've got to do it yourself. I don't have throw it to him, throw it to her. We don't mm. have that. But what you also don't have, which is advantageous to you, is you don't have to get sign off from like independent actors or middle managers and stuff like that. So you could, you're kind of like, you get to play judge and jury. Yeah. Whereas I think, and this is for the other creatives that are listening to this podcast, when you've got to get multiple levels of sign off or the brief has come from somebody else, you try and address that brief and it's not the same one, you get a pushback, it can get messy, but it I think- It affects the creative process at the end of the day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah and anybody who's creative who's listening to this podcast, any freelancers, any video uh, people that capture video, edit video, write copy, ghost write speeches, all of the things that I did in this context, would definitely understand that pain. Have you got any questions? Sure. Okay, one second. We're hanging it over to <laughs> Caucasian <laughs> Alex. Caucasian Alex is first time on the podcast. He's our intern. So earlier you talked about how you don't think it would be a good idea to bring your podcast onto Asia, America, or um, Europe, just focus on Asia. But from what I've heard on this podcast, you've basically conquered the aviation podcast side of Africa. So do you think you will eventually take on the initiative of maybe trying to take the aviation podcast to Asia, Europe, or America? I think that's a really, really good question. And what I've done in Europe is we have an Aviadev Insight Europe podcast with 120 episodes okay. already. And that's run by my incredibly able colleague, Uri. Okay. So he owns that market. So the only way I would do it is to put somebody in place who is going to be there and knows that market 365 not two months two months two months it doesn't work continuity I mean, we haven't even talked we haven't said consistency in the whole podcast mm -hmm. but three and a half four years into this we're 186 if you divide that by three and a half it's yeah. about one a week That's right exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly the consistency 
is absolutely vital. It doesn't have to come out at 10 o'clock every Thursday, but just a regular beat, the beat of the drum, yeah? It will, it will play a part. If we were to do this in Asia, we'd almost franchise it, yeah? Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna pretend I know anything about Asian aviation, and I do not have the physical or mental capability to take that on. Simple okay. as that, right? So, and I value my life, and it comes back to Daniel Priestley, who's somebody that, that, that we reference a lot, and I've got a coaching session with him soon, which is gonna be amazing in person, which I got for my 40th birthday, which is super oh, exciting. Yeah, yeah. And basically, he talks about two types of businesses, lifestyle businesses and performance businesses. And if you are too small and you can't make it work, you can't necessarily have a lifestyle business. And if you get stuck in the middle, you've got neither. I am very happy with a lifestyle business. I do not need to drive a Lamborghini. I just want to have a life where I am free to do the things that I want to do within reason, but that doesn't have to incur massive expense. I don't have to do this, that, and the other. I'm flying a private jet. That's my ambition. Yeah. That's not everybody's ambition, but what we've created with, with Aviadev is a lifestyle business. I'll just put in my diary three times a week, I'm going for a run, and I turn out my house, I moved house down to the south coast of the UK, go to the beach, do a run, go for a swim, whatever. I'll do that in the day, in my, day, in my daily work. If I was doing Asia, if I was doing Europe and America, I'd have to be up all from 24 hours Every a day. Every market, yeah. Because I'd have to be up at midnight to meet the guys in China and Japan, and then I'd have to still be up at midnight to meet the guys in LA. So for me, no, I think, I, personally, I've always said this, the future and the present is go niche, because you're, you, you can own a space. It's much easier to get there. And how many do you need? With the proliferation of the internet, you can say, oh, I want... I want to start, you know, I want to be people that are interested in Dungeons and Dragons just in Dubai. I bet that's tens of thousands of people, right? Create a podcast about that because it serves that and just talk about that. Don't start. It's very tempting to spread and then you become irrelevant. And that's the point. It's about relevance. So the answer to your your question, I would say, is a very good question. Plus, you're also talking about the knowledge of the market, right? So you've got... Yeah. If you're going to do it, you need the knowledge of the market. So one, one thing just... A very quick question. I know we're about to wrap up, but uh, you mentioned earlier about um, the uh, Sky Heroes and yeah. the other um, one with the yeah, it's called an seat, audience, an with, audience with right. Yeah. So a few different kind of a concept, formats, yeah, 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 different format, concepts. Yeah. Are they all part of that 186? Yep. Okay, that's good because the reason I ask that is because you've got interview format and then you kind of changed some of the concepts and you can do that quite. Quite, quite well fluidly. Within, yeah, fluidly and we actually right do way. what we start what I decided to do last year is we actually recorded a podcast live so we would do the we would do the we do it as a webinar and we do it live at 11 o'clock on a Friday and if you attended live and a lot did that gave them the opportunity to ask a question so I could check the chat and the Q&A and I could bring the question up but if you couldn't attend it then it was a podcast and it was still questions being asked by the audience how so soon after you started the cool. podcast did you do that uh, two and a half years later, but it was during COVID as well, where things had changed. I just think you have to adapt to the situation. What I see right now is virtual events and the appetite to sit in your kitchen with your underpants and your slippers on as a delegate has gone, as an, mm-hmm. as an attempt, you, 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 absolutely done. Mm. 
And as, an, as a sponsor, they're telling me, we don't want to pay that money because we don't see the value. So who am I doing that event for? Yeah. There is nobody there. So the only thing we can do right now is go back to live events. Wait, so you're bearish on live events. Uh, sorry, yeah. forgive me. You're bearish on virtual events. I think there's always a place for virtual content, like on-demand content. Like that's the whole point about well, us going back to the, we're going back to the podcast. But live virtual events in my industry... They're, people are voting with their feet. I can see the numbers. They're dropping like a stone. What, what does that mean for like the Hoppins of the world though? Hoppin well, we is Hoppin last week. We did an event last week um, from a studio in Plymouth in Devon. And we went from Adelaide in Australia to Alaska in 12 hours. We went from Oceania, Asia, Middle East, Africa, Europe, and America, interviewing and doing panels and breakouts using Hoppin. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an amazing event. And it was free to attend. And we did it with the world's biggest aviation website called Simple Flying. Gets mm. 30 million views a month on their, on their news. Wow. From nothing two years ago. They've wow. come from nowhere. Um, and we have a partnership with them, which is amazing. And this was their first ever event and we delivered it for them. Um, but what it means for Hopin, I don't know. I don't, I just doesn't work in my industry. Mm. I'm not gonna make a judgment because I think the product's great. Mm. But it's maybe, not the same. You maybe, can't create serendipity. Maybe it works in a world where the event that is being promoted is more mainstream and therefore volume is inherently, yeah. it's almost like that the commitment of volume is almost like promised. Yeah. Whereas the more niche you go, it's like, okay, hang on. I need more and more like skin on skin yeah. time Intimacy, with people. Because yeah. what you just, find just, at our yeah, conferences is you find that people go away that night and they have a private dinner. Mm, mm, mm. But they can do that because they're both in the yeah. same city that yeah. night. Sorry, yeah. just, just no, it's fine. Just a seal on that point on, on like the question I asked and the answer you gave, which was amazing, because we talk about kind of these like phases of content creation, like the content creation journey. And around that kind of 18 months, two year mark, roughly speaking, is when you need to start to innovate. Hmm. And you've kind of taken that that path. Of course, you know, the pandemic and everything kind of forced you that, but I feel like you were probably going that way anyway. I would agree with that, and that's the beauty of doing things digitally mm. as you can see mm. so you can say hey i did that event and it got this many people and i've done something similar and the appetite isn't there mm. so i have to adapt it yeah like being blinkered and saying i know what's right i've all my my mantra and you know you know this the market decides <laughs> hell yeah the market decides the market tells you what they like and what they don't like and what they like six months ago isn't what they're going to like later on and a lot of people don't want to hear this but in my in my industry virtual events there's no appetite to go to a virtual event because there's limited interaction there's yeah. no what you have is you have a broadcast situation or you have a one-to-one -one situation mm. if you're in a in a in a bar in a networking reception at one of my events at any second, there are probably 400 conversations happening on a virtual platform. You can't do that. Yeah. It's one-to-many or one-to-one. -one. Mm, mm, you mm. can't have many-to-many -many mm. in a really structured way until AI gets to that point that it matches people so well. And even then, you're not sharing experience. Mm. That's what events do. It provides shared experience. I met a guy from Airbus today and I said, oh, last time I saw you, we were eating prawns in Maputo in Mozambique. Oh, wow. Do you remember how tasty they were with that garlic butter? And he's like, oh yeah, that's our shared experience. Not, do you remember six months ago, we were on that webinar together and you were, I don't know where you were and I saw your name appear in the chat. There's no, there's nothing there.
I don't know. What do you think about virtual events? What's the future? No, I, I, I mean, so I've been an events guy since 98. And I think that I've never thought about the technology layer and the technology stack generating different results if you are a niche event or a mainstream event. And I think that that's absolutely genius. And I say that to say this, which is that, you know, I hope that, I hope that you understand and I hope that Alex understands that like what's incredible about when you work with somebody and you give them a blueprint and then they follow it and make it their own is that there are insights that come back into this mm. infinite loop that are way more elevated than things that I would come up with. And these are conclusions that you... From experience. These are conclusions that you've reached in the context of the path that you walk mm. because there is no incentive or or drive for me to go into the aviation space. So when you take some of these first principles and you apply that to these worlds, you come up with these conclusions, which is that I don't believe I don't believe that digital and virtual events work uh, the more niche you go, which in turn is a gift to me because as a highly valued consultant, I can now take that and go to a, one of my clients and say, if one of my clients says, should we do virtual events? I can now say, well, my first question is, how mainstream is the event? If it's narrow, there's evidence, evidence to suggest you shouldn't do it because my colleague, and I look at you as a peer now because we both put hardcore work in, that he suggested that this is a reason why it might not work. So more than do I think virtual events will work, I think in some instances they'll work. I think the metaverse has a whole you know, maybe two to four year feasibility mm -hmm. of, you know, are you prepared to go and consume content in the metaverse? Maybe, let's see, let's see what the experience is like and what the hardware investment is. But based on a standing position today, I fully agree with you. I think the more niche you go, the more of a risk you take and um, and serendipity becomes more valuable in the niche world because you're talking about nerdy inside baseball niche stuff. I agree. The, the only caveat I would add to this is we've lived in a world with no alternative. So we've gone, we've swung the pendulum from one side to the other, and now we're starting to see some live events. I mean, I'm here for a live event, right? The, the air show's the first air show for two years. And um, I think it will swing back to some extent. How far that swings back, I don't know. And, uh, you know, we've all agreed there's a place for digital. Of course there is, you know, of course there's a place for digital. But it, in terms of doing business, every single person I talk to in a niche B2B environment, I can't do a $200 million deal with a guy I haven't shook hands with and had a dinner with and had a beer mm -hmm. with and, sh and looked in the eye because I don't know whether they exist. Mm. It's that simple. Mm. There's, there's a hybrid, right? So when we, you know, we've spoken a couple of times around kind of filling in the gaps. So you're in an event space and it kind of, you have an event, you don't, yeah. ha don't have an event. How do you fill you the have gap? an event, yeah. yeah. How do you fill the gaps? And you can fill it with virtual events or whatever, like you fill it with content podcasts, great. But then how do you kind of interact and engage with the audience? Well, you can do live events. Now that live event may not, the result of that live event or the goal of that live event that is digital may not be about doing business, but it might be about introducing something or educating them on something or it's a branding event it's, it becomes it's, it's utility a branding event right it's really smart that's a good and point it's, and it's not just about doing yeah. a podcast but that's could could be your live event so now you've got this hybrid whereas specifically in your world or particularly in a niche environment you know we need that live to do business to get people together to get serendipity to serendipity to have shared experiences and to do that 200 mm. million dollar deal 
but in it between needs to be that, interspersed. Right. Do you because know why, you don't do you know why have, he said have, what he said is so smart? That was the role of the advisory board. Hmm. The vi- advisory board was an intermediary event. And what Vic's talking about is if you go from main event to intermediary event, i.e. advisory board, you go below that to virtual event. And you've now created this whole third layer of value that comes in hmm. In the troughs when your brand is not having high intimacy. So if the main event and the secondary event are both physical, yeah, you ex- they expire after a certain point. Yeah. The option to create them expires. You then create this digital alternative, and now you've created this whole third layer of touch. It's 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 a brilliant point. Yeah, and you and you have the podcast in your case that runs through it as a, it, in a linear fashion, right? Yeah, you spoke about it being consistently now when we do the mass of the number of podcasts over the number of years that's roughly one a week yeah. so that you know that adds that kind of layer of consistency of across across that whole customer added journey. to the fact that i probably post three times a day every day on there linkedin as well yeah. for the last 10 years there you go so that builds a following and a, and a, i met a, a guy from a bank a, a, a import ex export import bank literally i had my mask on and i was walking into a chalet and he went, oh, John. And I looked at his badge. I've never seen this guy's name. And he was mm. like, oh, I listen to all your podcasts. Like, I've never. And this guy's, you know, a senior guy at a banking. And it's the reach. That's the thing that I think people should not get disheartened. If they, it's who, you don't know who always, who it is. And if it's the right person, you only need a small number. It's quality, yep. not yep. quantity. Yep. Um, the only other thing I would say is you can't reach everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So... There are people in my industry for sure that are sat behind a printer printing out paper and they're sat behind reams and reams and they are waiting for retirement and they also are civil servants and they're not particularly interested in developing. They're just waiting for the Mm. pension. I give up on them. I just can't reach them, Mm. especially Mm. in COVID times. I couldn't go and Mm. see them anyway. Mm. They don't use WhatsApp. They don't use social media. They don't consume the podcast. So if you think about this as a long game, think about engaging with the people who are 18 now, who in 10 years will be the execs. And if you've given them value now, you're coming with them. Yeah. And play the long game. And you're also talking about availability. Like you can only be awake 16, 18, 19 hours a day, but your content's awake, flying your flag, whether you own the business or whether you're a proponent of the industry or you've got a particular product or service you want to exchange against, where those videos are making that point for you, making your traveling, your message is traveling through those content assets 24-7. It's, it's the internet. It's communicating at the scale of the internet. Absolutely. I don't know, man. The, the, I don't know. I feel, for me, for me, this is, we've had some great podcasts yeah. and we've got some great podcasts to come, especially this month. A lot of guys flying into Dubai, guys and girls. But this was a special one, man, because yeah. the, John is the perfect example of what <laughs> happens if you listen, do the work, and then actually go beyond what you were advised to do and find a way to tailor these first principles to your industry. Like John is really the greatest man. Like I'm so so happy that we had this conversation and I've learned so much in this conversation because I'm fortunate John's a dude who I've got a lot of love for, but I don't see him that much. Mm. And so in the intervals, conclusions and there's conclusions and context takes place where when we do speak, you put me onto game as well. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. It's particularly interesting because we're actually talking about something that the three of us now know very well, which mm. is content. Mm. And that's where it becomes interesting because now rather than kind of talking to you about how content might work in your business and it's not really like the thing that you're, 
you know, championing as part of your business. Well, it's actually the thing that you lead with when you introduce yourself. So Which that, has changed. That's adapted over right, time. Right, well, well, of course. Because and, and I think you should be unique. Yeah. Instead of going, hey, I run an event, yeah. it's I have the only podcast yeah. dedicated to African aviation, mm. which is listened to in 175 countries around the world. And then people go, okay. If they're mm. interested in that, they'll say, okay, that's cool. And that's it. Amazing. If you could, in closing, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who is... Sounds like Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, yeah, ah. if you, yeah, for real. <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who's at the beginning of their content journey, i.e. they are maybe 90 seconds ahead of the conversation, the pivotal conversation that you and I had that day, or they, are, they don't have someone like me in their lives, but they're, they're thinking about, hang on a second, is there an opportunity in this content? What would you say to that person in terms of the things that they need to learn, the skills that they need to develop, and the outcomes that they can expect? I think the most important thing is don't judge yourself too early. I see too many people giving up too early. Um, and I think that don't expect too much up front. And it's really a case of engaging with the community and saying, you know, what do you want? Don't have that humility. That's the word with content. The market decides. If it doesn't like that format, just tweak it until you find something that's right. If it's not always about, you know, you've got to find the guests and everything else. But genuinely, I think it's about um, really focusing, really focusing on what value you want to give and having that in the, in the, it's about having a, a, a real passion for something and not thinking this is going to lead to this check at the end of it. But do you know what? If I do a hundred of these, I might get paid at the end. And in between, I've got to find a way of making this work. But it's not A equals B. The world we live in now, you go and get an app from the app store, you expect to play, you go and get a game, you expect to play it for a long time before they start saying, hey, you've got to pay for it or whatever. That's the world we live in. Content, content is important and it's there to build your brand. But have that, have that humility to go, do you know what? I'm not going to launch this podcast and everybody's going to listen to it like a Seth Rogen podcast after one episode. So I'm going to get disheartened do it for something somewhere else. And for me, the podcast has always been, and the content has always been supplementary to the skills that we offer. So we've created, I mean, we haven't even talked about this. We have different revenue streams. So we have AviDev Consult. So we have a consultancy practice. We have AviDev Recruit. We recruit C-level um, uh, uh, employees as well. Um, so we've created, and we have AviDev Africa and AviDev Europe. There's four brands within one brand. And it's come from nothing in, in, in six years. Um, we're not there yet, but I just think it's that, have that humility about your content that there's so much out there and be thankful for every single person that, that, that does engage with it. John Howell is a specialist in African aviation and aviation in general, a alumni from the four P's <laughs> yes. and an entrepreneur that's navigated some tricky waters and, uh, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. I'm very grateful for your friendship. I'm very grateful for your, <coughs> just your existence, but I'm more than anything grateful for the application that you've decided to pursue of basically my life's work and my thesis. So you're an incredible dude and uh, it's just an honor to be your friend. Joining me on the show again was Alex, <laughs> Caucasian Alex, the producer and Vic. 
If you enjoyed the show, make sure you hit up Apple, give us a five-star rating and review. Spotify listeners, make sure you hit the follow button. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, hit the notification bell for immediate comments and give us a like as well. Really helps us get discovered on all of these platforms. If you want to email me, raj at creativecontentagency.com. You've also got Vic, V-I-K, at creativecontentagency.com. His Instagram is V-I-K-M-O-R-J-A-R-I-A. And I'm Raj Kotecha, R-A-J-K-O-T-E-C-H-A. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I know that of all the podcasts, this is going to be the nerdiest, probably the hardest one to consume and digest. But please listen to it two or three times. There's a million trillion dollars worth of game on this one. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll catch you in the next episode.